Hello and welcome to The Render Bar. I'm Richard Sanchez. I'm Erica Robbins. And I'm Steve Jacks. We're three visual effects editors working in film and television. We all have a different story to tell about how we came up to the film industry, and we're here to share our experiences. Each episode, we'll take a deep dive into our past to share stories about how we've navigated the cutting room to find a better balance in the workplace. The ups, the downs, and in-betweens. And we'll have some great guests to share their stories, too. It's going to be a fun time, so pull up a seat to the render bar. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey. How's it Good. going? Good. Great to have you guys here today. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it with a straight face. This is our first, well, this is our first recording. So I guess uh, we can just roll with that. This is our first recording of the Render Bar. Uh, this, this is pretty cool. Uh, today, we think we're going to be talking about some recent stuff going on in the film industry. Is that right? Yeah, some pretty big things uh, just happened just last week. Yeah, writer's strike is technically over. How do we feel about that? Relieved, but we're only halfway there. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know when. I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but we're recording this now on October second. So, SAG is going back into talks today. Hopefully, things go well. Hopefully, all the strikes are done soon, and we can get back to work. But it's yeah. nice that the Writers Guild has at least seems like they've gotten a pretty good deal. So, hopefully. Hopefully things oh. work out soon. I hope so too. Um, I know that for some of us, some of us in post-production, we've been off work since May and some of us have only just been off work maybe a month or two. So it's a lot different for a lot of different people. I know myself, uh, you know, not having been off work for a while, knock on wood, it's been great to keep working, but noticing that suddenly being off work, uh, you know, it's starting to, it starts to kick in. And the worry about when we all can go back to work. I know that's something I'm thinking about. Yeah, it's it's one yeah. thing to uh, it's one thing to say I'm going to learn a new program. I'm going to buy a book and teach myself this, and it uh, it tends to be fun for a couple of weeks, and you go. So, we're we going to go back. Uh, going to go back yeah. soon. Maybe. Yeah. So I was out picketing earlier today. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know when the last time you guys have been out. I know I've seen both of you recently out there where were you trying to get out once a week yeah i i was at disney today cool um they were doing they were doing a wga support day and my partner is a member of the wga so i went out with him that's great that's great how was it how was it today was it very busy or it was good it got pretty busy they they usually pick up around 10 10 30 so by then there was a pretty decent crowd i think sag is pretty i think a lot of them are, are feeling good about going back into negotiations. So that's great. Yeah, I was there with I think I saw you both last week at Disney. Mm -hmm. It was packed. That was the Friday before they finalized their negotiations. A lot of support yeah, that, that day. day. Was a lot pretty, of support. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. And it's, it's been it's, nice to see it's, it's been nice to see the talk shows are starting to come back. So we're already starting to see some influx of work starting with mm -hmm. the writers going back, which is tremendous. I haven't seen the talk shows yet. That's interesting. Well, it's Monday now, so probably I think this John week. Oliver's show was on last night. Was it? Okay, I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, I think they're I, starting to come back. I kind of forgot about talk shows. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. have too. I know that's a whole other conversation that th that industry is having. The future of that. Um, yeah, but how how have you guys been doing during the strike? Like, how are you all holding up? How's it been affecting you? 
Well, you know, for for us, uh, I I left Ahsoka about a week or so earlier than Steve did, and that was late July at this point. And I recognize how fortunate we were to have worked quite a while into this strike. And and now we are where we are, where nothing is starting up. And so we're just trying to offer support to the writers and now the actors. You know, yeah. Steve, how, Steve, how have you felt? Yeah, I mean, it's been about two months. And I think I think we all had that thing after knowing that the knowing that we were lucky, fortunate enough to to work another two or three months after the writer's strike started, where other people have had to be unemployed since May, we were lucky enough to keep going, that we could kind of plan that the job was going to end. And then we can look ahead to, okay, I know I'm going to have some time off, get that trip in, get that you know thing you want to do while you can. But now I see as it's two months later, hmm, you know, not only are we supporting uh, the Writers Guild and the SAG, and SAG after it, but also seeing how difficult it it's difficult for some of us for two months not working, let alone people have been off for three, four, four or five months. You know, I'm starting. You start to see how that affects us. You know, not working uh, and trying to either find you the next job or waiting for the next one to come for us. If you're waiting to get on something else that hasn't started shooting yet, the time it takes for them to prep and shoot versus something that might have already been mid-production that could start right this week, maybe. I don't even know. Yeah, I've I've been off. My last show wrapped up in about mid-June, so I'm getting to that four-month point, too. <laughs> and wow, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's tough. It's tough. It's tough as we wait. I think that's what this whole thing is, how, how it's affecting us is more in terms of, like, waiting game, you yeah. know? Not only about waiting to get back to work, but also waiting to even know that, any show we might get back to how long after this strike is the writer strike is now done. Will it take yeah, for them to get back into production? Moving. Right. Exactly. You know? you know, and on that note, uh, AI being such a, a contentious issue with both the writers and the actors will have our negotiation with IATSE coming up in just a year. And AI is certainly going to affect, our careers in ways that I mean, it's 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 hard to quantify how much that will change, even in the one year between now and our next contract uh, negotiation. How are you two feeling about about AI and its effect on on post? It's definitely concerning. Um, I worry about, especially as visual effects editors, just how much of what I do can easily, I think with advancements in AI kind of become automated. I think one of my worries too is with the guild, like we're not, visual effects editors aren't even an actual like defined job position in the guild. So it it worries me kind Mm -hmm. of how much protection we'll have versus like what assistant editors and editors will have. Um, I am happy about, I don't know how much you guys have looked at what the WGA, what the summary of their contract is, but they do seem to have a lot of, language in theirs that protects against being able to use AI to replace somebody's job, for instance, and things like that, that I think hopefully we can take some of that and be able to use it to protect our jobs too. I hope so. I, I almost see in, in a in a positive way too, uh, how the AI tech can actually help us do our jobs, you know, in terms of it being used as a tool rather than a threat, 
to our jobs. It's more of a tool to get job get our job done a little more efficiently or faster. You know, I can see yeah. in a lot of ways the tech that can not only just as visual effects goes in terms of there's uh, programs like um, there's some programs out there that'll actually start doing uh, you know more AI generative rotoscoping or paint outs or things like that that there might be end up more work you can do as a VFX editor as a temp um, than we already doing right now or it could just be more work for us I'm not sure yet <laughs> you know <laughs> that's always the question yeah it's like these these tools can be great because oh we can do this now or we couldn't before which could just mean more work um than just letting it be temporary until the vendor gets it you know and there's something exciting too about some of the you know looking at the repetitive nature of something like rotoscoping something that as vfx editors when we're doing temp work we've all been in that situation where someone asks us to do something that seems like it'd be fairly simple, like do it, do this little wire removal. And then you go wire removal is easy for all of two seconds until it moves, which is what wires do. And yeah. so there, there is something and you know, there, it's, it's all, it can be a, a very difficult sell then to, to send, you know, if you're, if your director or if your editor or producer insists upon something like that being done before you send it off to a vendor, there's the sense of I can spend, a, a ton of time doing something that is just going to be subpar due to either the tools or just the fact that it's really not our specialty. And there's something exciting about, hey, I can do this pretty quickly. That's cool. you know. And it's exciting in that sense. But then you also recognize that, okay, did, did that you know, did that take away something that would have normally been an expectation, which is now trimmed down the length of my job? Or did that trim away the length of a roto artist's job somewhere else? Uh, it's yeah. There's also the thing of what the tech can do versus what we need it to do for us. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm looking at this, this uh, company called Runway. They do dozens of creative tools to ideate, generate, and edit content like never before, it says. And things like generative uh, image expansion, where like, say you need it, you have a background plate, but it stops here, you know, you need it to expand it to maybe have the camera move, but you need exactly what was shot on the day, not AI to just make something up, you know, um, you need to be able to use it for what we need, not so much just because it can make something out of, out of nothing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think if the AI can do a lot of really great things from scratch, you know, if that's what you're doing. But in terms of like what we do, we need something specific to go with the story we're telling. I mean, if, if you have access to the photogrammetry of the day, but we don't usually. That's, I mean, you can get it, but that's more, that's a step, that can be a step beyond what we do as VFX editors, you know. But what AI could maybe do more for us, and it would be in terms of tracking changes, you know automatically. And I know Rich, you've been great at finding tools for that even in through like FileMaker. Yeah, yeah. And I could certainly see uh AI taking that to the next step, you know, just doing much more complex analysis, you know, things that, you know, we can check with EDLs and, you know, metadata to go has the shot changed, but you can't check things like what if the editor added a blow up to it or something. That's something you really need an eyeball on and uh mm -hmm. it's both scary and exciting for AI to handle that in the sense of, you know, we're we're humans, we're fallible, so it's nice to have something that can recognize that and go, hey, I may have caught something that you didn't catch, in which case you go, oh, thank you, AI, that I did not see that. But then there is yeah. then the sense of, 
well, if that then means that a show was previously three VFX editors and is now two, it's like, ooh, you know. Right. I mean, that's the fear, too, of then it starting to replace people's jobs when you can basically replace a visual effects editor or an assistant editor with a computer. That would be the worry like, on this. How, how on do you... On smaller shows where like you don't have the budget for a VFX editor, but now you have these AI tools that can let the assistant editor do that work. Yeah. It's like, where do you draw the line between it should be a tool to help us, but not something to take jobs away from people? That's where you you need language in the contract. Well, (laughs) that's something we, that would be great to discuss for future contracts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like making sure making sure that the artists are protected of, uh, you know, and there, there's a phrase that I've been heard that, that I've been hearing that's been thrown around, which is ethical AI, which is all about attributing it. Whether if something is written or generated that there's some way to match back to the derivative works so that artists are being paid royalties. And I think that's, that's imperative. Uh, but then there's also kind of this subcategory also of AI that does things that, I don't even know that they could really be done without AI. For example, there was this tool called Lolol, where you feed it a music clip. And obviously, this is more for uh, music editors than for us in visual effects. But you can feed it a song, and it will split out vocals from the music. And it was surprisingly good. I did notice that there were times when it would extract sound and the uh, the EQ of sound would get a little muddier. You could kind of tell, but that'll improve in time. And that could be a pretty amazing tool in the sense of, hey, I want to use an instrumental version of this song that was recorded in the 60s at a time when stems were really not a thing. And now you could theoretically do that and so that's kind of cool but that also touches upon the need for ethical ai i.e you're taking somebody's work so is that person being paid their due royalties they'd have to be you know like say that becomes the final right Mm -hmm. like it's one thing to use stuff as temp and say oh i really love that that guitar lick in that piece i only want that though so in my temp i'm going to use it but does if that becomes final then yeah you have to get that cleared I think another ethical question too with all these things like like what Richard is talking about is where is because that that software is using something to fill in the gaps in the music where they're taking out the lyrics or whatever they're doing and a lot of these models are learning from probably copywritten materials where are they coming from where are they getting it and if you're using it technically it's it's a big question of the ethics involved on that side of things too. Yeah, I wonder how that works. I mean, a lot of this AI stuff that I've been looking at, like Richard mentioned, La La, Mid Journey, another one, or, uh, you know, there's one actually to create voice, Eleven Labs does uh, generative voice AI. I can see a lot of these things benefiting folks who are creating stuff on their own. You know, when I was younger, when I'm thinking about making my own films, how you feel alone, you're by yourself. I just want to make something and I have, but I had to go find people to help make stuff with me. But now it feels like for say YouTubers, and that's a whole different conversation from film and television to, you know, social media, YouTube, where if you're just alone making your, making your quote content, your videos, that you can do it alone with all these tools and create things out of nothing. And for them, that sounds great. But for us who are more in the marketplace of like 
you know, film and television, a bigger industry. How does, how does, how does that, how do we reconcile with that? You know, in a lot of ways, it feels like cheating. Creating an image from a prompt negates the art and talent of an artist. Well, it's, you know. it's funny you mentioned that because I've been hearing the term prompt artist, you know, which is a phrase that I disagree with uh, more and more because it's, you know, when when people start conflating those two, there is this sense of, you know, I ask for these things and I use these words to ask for these things. But as you say, that separates the 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 art, the the process of creation and anyone can want art, you know, and I can... I can contract a painter to paint me, but I can't then say I painted that because I asked for that, you know, right. and it would the- be like, yeah, like mid journey would be the artist, mm-hmm. you know, but if mid journey is taking things from other artists to create the art. Yeah. I mean, it's no, in a lot of ways, it's no different than how we do, you know, we base our editing based on what we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, and, and reading books and watching movies and, and combined with our own, instincts and talent just like an artist has their own instincts and talent and it's based off their learning of the art world and everything is even writers is it's derivative of all the things that have come before but the, your own unique spin on it so everything is taken from everything else but the difference with ai is that he's not a human mm-hmm. well and it's also you know? ai often as a lot of these models are literally taking copywritten materials that an artist created like yeah maybe what they created is derivative but it was still an original piece of artwork created by a human and now it's basically being taken and mixed together with a lot of other art to generate something new and at a certain point you have to draw the line of like is that the same as being derivative i don't think it is yeah like how much do you call that uh, erica do you find that just to be plagiarism yeah i mean that's what i'm saying i think it's a lot yeah yeah. 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 There, there's a fine line where influence becomes replication, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you, you look at a Tim Burton film that is so heavily influenced by German expressionist films, but that doesn't mean that the estate of F.W. Murnau is going to sue Tim Burton. Uh, but you see how, you know, and all that then to say, you know, I watch films like that and say, I love that. I want to make films like that. And that will be a part of that'll be a part of your your product but that's not the whole of it and of course even when we see people who do plagiarize things sometimes they do it without even without even knowing it i mean the the, the famous case of sam smith and tom petty obviously that music versus film but when something is that close then you know people raise their eyebrows and have to step in and say hey wait a minute you know a lot, a lot of that's like how many variations of notes can you make Mm-hmm. You know, that's why you, you see that a lot of them are very similar. They're not maybe not quote the same, but how much is it taking from someone else or inspired by someone else and then giving it so, uh, uh, an added bonus or an added uh, flavor? I think it's different, though, when it's unintentional or even inspired by than these models that are they are literally just taking art or taking mm-hmm. things, taking written word and and generating something basically using it to i don't know it it feels different to me when it's just it feels like it's just being generated through a thing then it's not learning in the same way we do where we see something and we're inspired by it and we want to make something similar it's designed to take the thing and regurgitate it to look similar but not you know maybe i'm not no i think you hit the nail on the head the difference is having human human the human quality 
of of creation versus the regurgitation of creative works that have already been made. You I think know? it's intention, what is the, though. I think I think the yeah. intention of the AI is to take things and yeah, copy yeah, yeah. them and make something, whereas uh, a person who's inspired by something, and I'm not to say some people don't take things and and intentionally copy them because that happens too, but I think there's a a difference between being inspired by something, and I don't think that these AI models are just inspired by something and making a new version. Because if of they it. were inspired by something, they would just be making something on their own. Right? Exactly, they would and be. That's the that's the then day. We, then that's, we'd have bigger worries. <laughs> that's the day when we're all scared because yeah. if AI is just like AI just made a movie. They just released a movie by itself. Like it's just in theaters. Like what? How'd that happen? That'd be different than yeah. Like it is pretty much. What's the purpose behind this? The purpose behind the AI tech that is writing, you know, like ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. It's there to be prompted to ask a question for it to comply and give you exactly what you're, well, not exactly what you're looking for, but it's, its purpose is to create something based on all the knowledge that has already been input into it, which is yeah. the world. <laughs> History. Well, it's, it's almost like, you know, the, the approach where if you, if you treat, you know, human language as Lego blocks, so that's what you have to work with. And it recognizes patterns and says, I can take these Lego blocks and make a new Lego castle out of it. That's one thing. And while it might be arbitrary, a part of me also thinks you can't, you can't reason or explain something, you know, you can't explain your motivation. Whereas a human, if you're writing a script and you say, I know that yes, aspects of the script could be compared to this, and there might be people who will call me out on it. At least I have the opportunity to say, I knew I was treading on on iffy ground. This is why I think that this is an original idea, although I'll admit it was highly inspired by this. But, you know, and it kind of touching back on what you were talking about, Steve, you know, that's the time for us to be scared. You know, the one thing I think about is as far as having a a computer having an original thought, you know, it's I, I was just as you were saying that I was thinking if a computer saw the first Terminator, and we're going back to 1992 now, because Terminator 2 was so radically different from Terminator 1, this liquid metal robot, something that is so far away in concept, could you ingest this first script and come up with this new script? Because that's, and I think that is, to me, mm-hmm. is like the crux of the biscuit is that's such, you're building upon a structure, a story. You have rules in this world with the Terminator and time travel, but something so drastically original has come out of that. And I think that is, can a computer do that, something that original? You know what's funny is that when the way you're the way you just described that I find fascinating because if we're talking about originality comes from um, taking one thing and then going in a very different direction with it, which not that that is in terms of what's uh, Terminator Two for example was very different than Terminator One, but for the better. But what we see in the industry as a whole is that rather than taking something that works and making it very wildly different for originality's sake, we're repeating the same thing, you know, sequels, franchises, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So in a way, if AI is, <laughs> is saying, if, if we're saying that AI is something that might take one thing and just expound upon that because it works, could we say that, is that what the studios are doing? That is, that is you a, know? 
It's a solid question. I mean, the, the question of can we just do the same thing but kind of change the uh, change the cereal box? You know, it feels like it. If if the goal is to make money, and that's all it is, then that's why we have a lot of the same the same same sameness mm-hmm. in the movies that are released. And that's what's really kind of funny because I know a lot of people in during this during the writer strike would say, you know, if if you think the writers are the ones that are going to be replaced by AI, isn't it more so the business CEOs that are just simply push, you know, making the calls of what, what gets made? Yeah. (laughs) You know, that could be, that's a different, that's a different thing, but yeah, that's the scary part of what the future uh, looks like, you know, with AI, how much is it already affecting us, but what, how it not only affect us in VFX editing, but in in post, but in the industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you guys feel about that? Like, how do you guys see any of this tech? Not only like, because in some ways I see it, you know, I was like uh, on a, I was on a, a trip recently where I shot a bunch of footage on my phone and I was just going into iMovie on my phone and it has an option for magic movie where you mm. click it, click the button, you cl- select all your video clips you want to have and then you click magic movie and then like a minute later, it generates an entire like one minute or two minute video for you but it registers the audio clips it registers dialogue to not cut out dialogue it includes it it understands that this is a wide shot it understands this is a close-up it does that and it puts it together for you and if at a glance you might say this is great done post you know post it to youtube or facebook but that's where i actually i showed it to my mom i was visiting my family and i said mom if you want to understand what ai is about this is exactly it and that's how it affects us because suddenly it is taking what we do creatively and shrinking it down to zeros and ones, right? And that's what I see as scary for future like that. But 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 Erica, to what you were saying with this, with the writers who are putting into their contract agreements, that's what we that's what will happen. You know, I don't see that it would take over completely because we'd have to be putting in the words into the contract that that saves us from things like AI taking over and editing position yeah yeah well that's exactly the thing i mean i you know we we have a union we do these contracts to protect ourselves from this kind of thing where like yeah absolutely i think if if we didn't have these kind of protections you would see the studios trying to replace workers with as many generated you know systems as possible because it definitely saves money but you know we're here we're workers and i think most of us too are doing this because it's it's not only just a job we're in this industry because we're creative people and the thing too is i feel like nobody really wants like art isn't a thing that i think people want to see ai art like no one wants to go to a museum and just look at ai generated art like part of the reason people create is because it's a human need to be creative So I also just feel like if the studios or, you know, if big business had their way and replaced everybody in the film industry with AI, would, I mean, we maybe be able to make as much money, but like, would people want to watch that? Or would the indie film industry blow up with all of us who still want to do this because it's what we love to do? And then the studios would just basically kill themselves off making their AI generated movies. You know, it's, it's also just one of those things where I'm like, to what end would that really even be possible? 
I mean, will, I, will, will organic film, will, will organic filmmakers effectively become the new niche, you know, the art house yeah. like, oh, that was made by a human. Well, I wouldn't be surprised that in the coming years with this AI m- moving as fast as it is, right, that there wouldn't be a filmmaker out there that says, I'm going to make a movie using completely AI technology. Because I know, Richard, you worked on a film that was shot on iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it? Tangerine? Tangerine, yeah. Yeah. So as an example, using tech, like, can I make a movie all shot on an iPhone? Answer, yes. Does that become the norm? Not really. But it can be done. And that's more of an experiment. So I wouldn't be surprised that those kind of things happen. And then the determination of how successful is it? Well, and, you know, I think even touching upon without even going in, without even going down the road of better or worse, you can just look at preferences. You look at something like how nowadays the amount of projects shot on film are very few and far between. But those, you know, there are those who say it is better, those who say it isn't better. But really what it comes down to is it's a choice and you can go with one and you can go Mm -hmm. with the other. And I think, you know, a similar thing with AI is you can have either entirely AI created work or at least partially created a uh, partially AI created work. And at the very least it, it says, this is something that was done this way. You can use it if you like, you can use it if you don't like. And it, 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 it begs the question if, is there a tipping point as to maybe it, maybe it all does look obvious in that kind of uncanny valley way that, you know, that visual effects can sometimes, you know, that bad, bad CG renderings that sort of look inorganic, perhaps that also becomes a quality of it. But is there a certain amount that people are willing to endure? And that then becomes kind of the debate of, Mm -hmm. you know, because just as as a matter of this being a, a, a business venture, I think it, it it's it is a scary thing to think about that uh, oh well we'll tolerate a certain amount of this inorganicness and I and that's I think that's the scary thing because AI that genie is is never going it's never going back into the bottle okay, but how yeah. it affects us and you know and and how we you know obviously how the writers are protecting themselves the actors are protecting themselves. Uh, and how we need to protect ourselves is going to be a big factor in that because I think it will, whether it becomes yeah a, a a small part of a bigger process, and whether that is due to us actively holding it out or laying rules on what it can or can't do that that's that's a debate to be had about um, will studios or will audiences accept that or will it be off putting? Yeah. You know, something to go back to what Erica was saying was when you go to to a museum to look at art, some of it is even grasping in your mind that this was written or this was, uh, you know, created by a human, you know, like talent, a talented person created this thing. And some of that is the I wish I could be that talented. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't do that. You can, you know, but when it comes to a computer, it's like, well, computers can kind of do like almost anything. And you don't feel the same connection to a computer that you do a person. So I see a filmmaker and I say, oh, man, like, I can't believe you had that vision. You just came up with that and you knew where to put the camera. I wish I could do that. Or and I have my ideas to do it similarly, but I'm getting there. Maybe I'm not there yet. Or as an artist, I'm not there yet, but I can be a lot of you know practice and practice and practice. But with AI, it's like I can never do what that does. Just can't. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something to say as far as in terms of what will, how do, how do humans connect to AI produced artwork? Do we just see it as a novelty or as actual art, you know? Yeah. And, and is it, is it a short term thing or is it a long term? I'm look look at how prevalent 3d films were for a time. And now you don't see them nearly as much yeah. as you used to. That's novelty. You know, I think that was a, a boost in the economy for a bit. Uh, Maybe people go back to the movies and then it, it lost its uh, uh, rhythm. But I think, you know, uh, you were mentioning, Richard, about the CG, you know, uh, earlier about like the, the Uncanny Valley. Right. Mm-hmm. I think back to the Final Fantasy film. Wasn't that the first fully CG film? Right. Yes, that was I believe so. Not even 22 years, 21 years ago or something. I think it was 2001, actually. So just think about in 20 years, how great the CG has gotten. How much better it's gotten imagine 20 years from now how much better this ai is going to get mm-hmm. and that's a, that's equal parts uh amazing to think about and worrisome you know so that's where i can see that it it will and it's and it's advancing so so much faster mm-hmm. that we can see how how much it will start to uh become a part of not only a t- tool for us to use generally in art but in terms of how much, say, Avid is going to start implementing AI technology into its program that you don't mm-hmm. even have a choice. If you want to be an editor working in Avid, you know, ScriptSync, for for uh, example, could that just be an automatic, automated, gen- generated thing? Yeah, you have the script, but so many, so many times I've had to write in the, the improv dialogue that was never scripted. Now it can just create, it can just take that dialogue from what was spoken and write it down for you and probably track all the different beats as well. Mm-hmm. And it saves a lot of time. And hopefully that just saves time for the assistant editor or the visual effects editor to do other creative work. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it could lead to a place where since all that, you know, if you look back in the, you know, in traditional film days where the assistant actually assisted the editor to learn the creative, once it became digital, how much more work the assistant editor had to do that if that work is taken away, maybe the assistant editor can start to be more hands-on with the editor now mm-hmm. and getting more shots to cut or scenes to cut, maybe be more focused just on sound work or, or less about the management of the project because maybe it's more automated. So those are things I think about the future of, of, of the industry is could be exciting in terms of how much it can save time for the busy work, mm-hmm. you know, um, even us, like doing count count sheets, um, doing changes, can things like that be more automated and catch all of you know already? Richard, your 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 tool you you wrote for FileMaker, your code code you wrote or your script you wrote for FileMaker to help us track every single change mm-hmm. has helped immensely. Because before you just go by you go by eye, you you know match yeah. the old cut to the new cut, but if you missed a change three cuts ago. You're going to miss it forever. Here, you're catching it no matter what. So that's a tool, but that's still a hybrid manual and automation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, things like that can really help save us time to get back to, you know, why do we do this in the first place? Creativity, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's what the future could look like. Maybe more creativity in that way. That's just trying to put a positive spin on it. <laughs> but I think you kind of have to. You can't be all doom and gloom with this yeah. stuff. Well, and that's yeah. the hope, right? Is that we we use we're able to use these new technologies as tools to help us, and not as not see them as threats. 
Mm-hmm. The yeah the the cynic in me says really what it's going to do is shrink schedules, but the optimist in me says yes, there will be more time for creativity, and the the pragmatic side of me says I'd like to believe that the truth will land somewhere in the middle. We it will if you can do things faster, people are just going to want things faster. That's just human nature mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i would like to believe then that there is going to be a situation where you're working in the timeline and you need to quickly see every single read of this like you know like hey let me just click this and go there's every single take right there oh yeah that one you know and then hey we just kind of work that out real quick as opposed to go digging through bins and scripts for ages you know it's 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 yeah. it's one of those things is yeah and i think your approach is 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 a is a healthy one to it is there's there's it doesn't do anyone any good to to um to scream and 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 you know just push it away it's 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 here the new you know the new phrase find ai from avid is is pretty darn impressive i was playing with it recently and it's cool. There's a lot of very cool things coming, and some of the the products that are also coming in Resolve and Premiere, as far as creating these transcripts. I mean, that was tremendous amounts of work. That it's it's mm-hmm. really pretty impressive to get this stuff. It's far from perfect, but it just to get you, you know, subtitles really quickly uh, is is fantastic. Yeah. And- Even on, in YouTube, you put po- you upload a video and you want to do captions, it'll mm-hmm. auto generate captions, you might have to tweak it and adjust mm-hmm. a few things, but it gets you gets you going um, without having to start from scratch, and take yeah. so much more time. That's the thing you do it manually, you can do it perfect in one go. Yeah, but it saves you a lot of time if there's some of that um, auto generated auto generation coming from mm-hmm. this tech which is pretty cool. But yeah, you're yeah. right. It's um, There's this, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, it's called the Gartner Cycle, and they have oh. one for artificial intelligence. It's basically a, a, a chart that, that says there's the innovation trigger where all this hype coming up about a new technology, and then there's this thing, they call it the peak of the peak of inflated expectations where we think it's going to be the savior to do everything that we can ever imagine. And then it goes down into the, the trough of del- disillusionment where it isn't as exci- it isn't as great as we expected it to be, but then, as the, like Richard, you said, where's the happy medium? Mm-hmm. You know, where's the balance? And it does become more of a balance where okay, this is what we 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 expected this, and maybe it's more like this where it can actually influence and help any given industry. So, in terms of AI, yeah, I think it'll just be again, it's a tool, and I find that interesting that everyone's been. Fearing it, while while I think there, and you kind of have to shout that there's a fear to get people thinking about it. You well, know, and I think the, the writers had a, a, a huge, you know, that was a great point to start shouting to the rooftops about, hey, we don't want you know computers taking over our jobs. And one the way that sounds too, re- yeah. in the actors, yeah, you sound that it sounds like that's a ridiculous claim. But if we don't actually put that out there, then maybe it could become the truth. You know. The- the way it affects writers and actors is different. I, I think that is the, really what it comes down to is how different it affects everyone, you know, and uh, not, uh, you know, I think the the magnitude by which it affects writers and actors currently 
is far more significant than uh, than I see it affecting us. I'm not trying to downplay how much it will affect us because it will. I just think in ways that, at least to me, seem a little less obvious. But you know, uh, j- just as a as a as a joke, you know, and it was funny because it was uh, a friend sent me this AI generated joke a while ago, and it was both hysterical and terrifying in that he sent uh this sound bite of and it was sounded like the old uh early 90s uh unsolved mysteries it had the theme song perfectly and it had robert stack's voice perfectly saying something deeply inappropriate that robert stack would never say and to me it was absolutely hysterical but what was what was terrifying was the accuracy of it and it was kind of one of those things where like I, it was it was i had my chuckle and then thought oh my gosh yeah the 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 ramifications of this you know and even even you know i was thinking about this when you were talking about um that voiceover tool, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this, Erica, if you ever worked in uh, those rooms where the gender balance uh, across the shows is, if you're if you're one of the only women on the show, they're probably pulling you in every 10 minutes to get an ADR line. And, and likewise, you know, where the balances oh, yeah. are. Yeah. And oh, I've and- worked on shows where all I voice all the women. <laughs> I think I had a, there was one once I think where I had a scene against myself. <laughs> That's hysterical. And that's even only in the temp sense, but yeah. how, that, how that changes things. And in, in some cases like that, that could be a very good thing. Obviously, when they bring the actor in, the actor will be paid, as they should. Um, but, uh, you, you know, and speaking of that, Rich, not to cut you off, but the, when you say that about the temp, you know, things like MidJourney and the voiceover tools, uh, Eleven Labs for the voiceover tools, you can do things where instead of a title card, that says we need a new insert. You could use Midjourney to, or or um, what was the other one? Uh, what is this? Runway that can create moving images. Runway does moving images, right? Where you can actually create the temp from scratch as a temp. Mm. So I could see that being beneficial for us. Where we need a we need that close up of the hand grabbing the gun. We never mm-hmm. shot it, but I could take some images. Or create something that more, looks more like it. You don't maybe might not be in terms of uh, what's uh, for security protocols. You might not be able to take what you're actually using as a reference, but mm-hmm. you can get something else—a close-up of a hand grabbing a gun, uh, low angle, whatever—and then create it rather than having to rely on just text on black yeah. until we get it. But or you know things yeah. where I see it being useful too is you know the, the situations where we need a clean plate and one wasn't shot. And so being able to ask the AI, find anything, can you reposition this shot and freeze frame it and, and find me the plate that, you know, we've all had to scour oh, yeah. for hours. You know, uh, yeah, I guess that, that that's the other thing where you can say, hey, find me the close up where she's blinking or looking left, mm-hmm. you know, and then it can understand that and read that. And then again, that saves that saves us time. You know, and that could be uh, that's a benefit, you know, so I think there's a lot of benefits to it. And like you said, it's that happy medium where right now it feels scary, but, you know, mm-hmm. then it's yeah. going to be the norm, you know, yeah. and, and it's the new world we're going to be living in, which is yeah. not what we all expected when we started working in this business or even yeah. as when we were young getting into film. It's like we just want to make movies. And I didn't ever expected all this technology to be so ingrained, but even as as easy as it is now too, you know, mm-hmm. before it had to be you had to know this stuff. Now it's like becoming norm, 
normal. Yeah. Well, it's all about just staying on top of it as much as you can and learn and that's what like, you can. Yeah. And that's like any tool uh, yeah. when it comes to like working the Avid, you know, what, what, what extra little tools, do you know, working in FileMaker, what other effects, you know, scripts that, you know, that can help you get the job done to be good at, yeah. good at your work. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I'm sure it was like, you know, back how many years ago it was now when they, when they switched to the Avid in the first place, you know, they used to cut mm -hmm. movies on film and that was a huge technological innovation that a lot of people had to learn. So I feel like it'll probably be similar to that in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Mm -hmm. And, and that's actually a really good example about how it both threatened people's jobs, but in also yeah. some great ways, it also democratized jobs in that mm -hmm. there was a time when television editing versus film editing was so different because when you're talking about tape to tape and, you know, queuing it up and linear editing versus cutting on a moviola, it was, I mean, you literally had different tools and it was a very different process. And so on one hand, for anyone who says, oh, that avid is really complicated, that's it's a very different thing, but it also brought those two worlds together in a place when you know when I used to t when I when I'd hear editors speak about how oh it was really hard to go from being a film editor to a television editor and then when you look at it and go yeah because the tools that they had to use were so radically different even if the decision making mm -hmm. you know the creative aspect of it was the job of editing that when the tools are that drastically different it's it's quite a quite a feat and now it's all done on the same tool with you know different nomenclature for certain things but it is it 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 it, it democratizes that in a way that it makes it much easier for film editors to go back and forth between tv so i think there is something about it it is scary and threatens certain aspects of the the old order, but it actually might also usher in a lot of wonderful new things too. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think that's true. I was listening to some people talk over the weekend from uh, Edit Fest LA. It was a rebroadcast re re of uh, artificial intelligence uh, panel. And that was one thing that some of the panelists were commenting on. There were, one of them was an editor commenting on the fact that you know, some editors now they're older, you know, you, you get to a point where you don't want to learn new tricks, you know what you know, and you just want to show up, get to work, do your thing, get it done. And it's hard for them to learn new technology and learn new software. Mm -hmm. But that is where the younger generation comes in and has that like an assistant editor can come in and say, Oh, I, I do know runway, I know how to easily grab these things. It used to be Oh, I know After Effects, mm -hmm. right? I know After Effects, I can do a little temp, I can do some comp work for you or make a final. Now it's, I know AI tech and I can generate things for us, you know, that way, which, which helps you stand out just as it did whenever you said, you know, After Effects or, you know, Premiere, you know, any of these other programs. So it's very mm -hmm. similar in that way that, you know, as a VFX yeah. editor is coming up, knowing some of these tricks can uh, put you ahead, you know, of someone else, perhaps being able to just come up with these quick temps that way. Yeah. Definitely. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. You know, AI is exciting and terrifying and pretty cool and quite a lot in between. There's there's quite a gamut, but uh, it's here whether we like it or not. And how we deal with it is going to is going to be the, the new normal in modern post-production. Yeah. Uh, whatever you know, whatever is happening now, it's going to be completely different a year from now. And then... yeah. 
It's going to be different now. by the time we actually put this podcast up in like a <laughs> yes. week from now. Exactly. Or to say succinctly, adapt or die. Yes. But uh, until next that- time, I'm Richard Sanchez. Steve Jacks. I'm Erica Robbins. And this has been The Render Bar. The Render Bar. <laughs> the Render Bar. <laughs> I'm like, he's doing it. He's going there. <laughs>